and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep our history alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis. In this episode, folklorist Wyatt Shibley interviews retired local politician Lorraine Michael about what it was like growing up with Lebanese roots in downtown St. John's. It was recorded in front of a live audience at The Rooms on the 11th of March, 2020. My name is Wyatt Hirschfeld Shibley, and I study Newfoundlanders, um, specifically those who descend from immigrants who arrived here from Lebanon, uh, the tiny speck in the middle of that map. Um, I first came to Newfoundland in 2010, and like so many others who have come here from away, I arrived with my own preconceived notions about this island. Among other things I knew, or at least thought I did, that most people worked in the fishery, were really friendly, and were basically all Irish. Uh, That last notion was shattered on one of my very first days here, when uh, walking around downtown I popped into a shop on Gower Street. Um, I was struck by a sight very familiar to me, but which felt very out of place at the time. I saw jars of tahini, uh, olive oil, grape leaves, uh, burgul, Lebanese foods I grew up eating and didn't expect to find in a province whose people are so frequently summarized by the phrase ethnically homogenous. At the counter, I asked the shopkeeper why she stocked so many Lebanese foods. She informed me that there was actually a pretty sizable Lebanese community in St. John's. Gesturing toward Newgower Street, she recalled that in her youth there were many Lebanese families in the area who owned shops. She had Lebanese friends growing up, she said. She celebrated a holiday with them once, but she couldn't remember what it was. I, even though I'm a Lebanese American, had never lived anywhere with a sizable Lebanese community, and I left the shop that day hoping and assuming that I would eventually meet someone from it. Almost seven years later, I finally did. (laughs) Um, Newfoundland and Labrador is home to a Lebanese community that has been present here for over a century. While records from the time are somewhat unreliable, it is estimated that between the years 1890 and 1914, between 200 to 300 so-called Syrians had permanently settled in Newfoundland. The majority of these were probably Christians originally hailing from the Mount Lebanon region of what was then known as Ottoman Syria. Most early immigrants worked as pack peddlers and or shop owners, not only in St. John's, but also in the smaller communities further from the capital, such as Badger, Botwood, and Stephenville Crossing. Encouraged by the economic opportunities offered by the island's railway and boom towns, members of some families left their original communities of settlement in order to establish businesses in more remote parts of the island, resulting in something of a cultural archipelago consisting of closely related micro-communities in the small towns that dot Newfoundland's coast, with St. John's as its hub and population center. By 2016, the number of residents of Newfoundland listing Lebanese as their ethnic origin on the Canadian census numbered 995, of which I may be the 995th. Between the summers of 2018 and 2019, I had the pleasure of interviewing uh, 16 descendants of Newfoundland's early Lebanese immigrants, all of whom are either third or fourth generation members of the diaspora in Newfoundland and descend from immigrants that arrived uh, in the late 1800s through the 1920s. Many of my consultants have recalled an emphasis on fitting in among many of the first generation. In contrast to the public displays of ethnicity by some Lebanese communities in larger cities, such as the Lebanese festival in Halifax, 
My research has revealed that the Lebanese identity in Newfoundland is one that is primarily expressed within the home and among others of Lebanese descent, particularly family. Domestic expressions of ethnicity can be observed in many aspects of everyday culture, including the objects with which some Lebanese Newfoundlanders adorn their homes, holiday traditions, and particularly food. With a high rate of intermarriage, and after a century of diaspora on a relatively remote island, the descendants of Newfoundland's early Lebanese immigrants are today the bearers of a distinct hybrid identity. Before introducing Lorraine, I too would like to say thank you to the Lebanese Association of Newfoundland and Labrador, as well as to everyone who has helped me in this research so far. Um, I'm happy to see some of you here tonight. Uh, you have all taught me so much about the Lebanese community here in Newfoundland, and it goes without saying, but I will say anyway that without you, none of this would have been possible. Um, I've never had the pleasure of knowing so many Lebanese people from outside my own family, and getting to know you all has deepened my own connection to this identity. Uh, by getting to know you, I have come to know myself a bit better, and for that I am deeply grateful. Lorraine Michael was born in St. John's. Her paternal grandparents immigrated to Newfoundland in 1910. Like many of Newfoundland's early Lebanese immigrants, they originally hailed from Hadat al-Jibbi, a small agricultural community located in the mountains of North Lebanon. Lorraine grew up among others of Lebanese descent, part of a community that once flourished in the area around New Gower Street, where City Hall and the Delta Hotel stand today. While now retired, Lorraine's career as an elected member of the House of Assembly, a feminist, and committed activist for gender, racial, social, and economic justice has spanned more than 50 years. Then known as Sister Lorraine Michael, she began her career as a community leader as a high school teacher on Bell Island. Since then, she has worked with an array of coalitions and committees dedicated to social justice causes. This work eventually, inevitably, led her to politics. From 2006 to 2014, Lorraine was leader of the New Democratic Party of Newfoundland and Labrador and an elected member of the House of Assembly from 2006 to 2019, representing the districts of Signal Hill, Kitty Vitty, and St. John's East, Kitty Vitty. While not working, she spends time with her other passion, music. She is a member of the Philharmonic Choir of the Newfoundland Symphony Orchestra and enjoys sitting at the piano and playing old favorites. And having eaten at Lorraine's house, I can also say she's a really good cook. <laughs> um, Lorraine, you are, by anyone's definition, very much not an immigrant. Um, you were born here, as were both of your parents. Um, I'm wondering for you uh, what it means to be Lebanese, and if you've ever felt different from other Newfoundlanders. Thanks, Wyatt. He knows the answers to all these questions. <laughs> That's why he chose them. Uh, um, yes, I was born here, but I was born into the Lebanese community. And uh, it was, um, by our standards, um, a large community, um, unlike your experience. Um, research shows that there were 26 core families that came to Newfoundland around the turn of the 20th century, some in the 1890s, my grandparents, 1910, they were among the last ones. Actually, after that, Arabs weren't allowed into Newfoundland anymore, and it didn't change after we, until we became part of Canada. So that's why you have this gap between this really old, settled Lebanese community and new people who are coming from Lebanon now uh, to the university in particular. 
Um, so for me, uh, yes, I was different. Um, I felt different. Others treated me differently. And I also knew I was part of a community that they didn't know. Uh, so it, it, it mixed feelings. In school, um, my sisters and I, and one other Lebanese girl, Diane Noah, were the only people, we were actually visibly different. Um, I have, you know, a, a, a complexion that once sun summer comes, I mean, I get very, very dark um, uh, because of my complexion. Um, we stood out, all you have to do is look at the school, you know, pictures and you see, see that. Uh, for my friends, I don't think I was different, but for a lot of my friends' parents, I was. I remember when some of these stories are going to be emotional for me, I hope I'm going to be strong. <laughs> uh, you know, I remember going into a very good friend, I'm still a friend of hers, I'm going home with her one day after school. And her mother saying to her, darling, I thought I told you not to bring that child here. I had no idea what that meant, you know. Uh, but, that was, but that wasn't my friend's reaction to me. But as people who lived in the heart of St. John's, um, you all know St. John's well enough that I tell you, stand over at the, uh, what's the theater there on Gower, and Gower Street? Majestic. Stand with your back to the Majestic and look westward on Ugara Street. That whole street was stores, shops, and families living over them. A large majority of those were Lebanese, and Chinese as well. There were some Chinese uh, businesses there too, the laundry in particular. The Chinese and the Lebanese were very friendly on Ugara Street. The whole street, all the way up, you would find the Lebanese community and stores down on Water Street as well. So we went all the way from there over to Leslie Street. Um, I, my family, and uh, two other families, uh, I grew up on the Marchand Road, immediately above Ugower Street. <laughs> my grandparents were at the bottom of Barters Hill, and we were five doors west of Barters Hill at the Marchand Road. And the Bolas family was over on one corner, and the Teuton family was on the other corner of the block that I grew up in. So we were the first ones to sort of move up <laughs> from, uh, from that area. Uh, so when um, I was very much part of that community, it was my community, and I knew we were different. Our food was different. Everybody, all the generation um, of the older people, my grandparents, all their generation spoke broken English. Um, some couldn't speak English as well as others. Uh, so I, yes, I knew I was different. Uh, when I was a teenager, I did something one day that I couldn't even tell myself why I did it, but I, I still don't know why I did it. I was downtown with a few of my friends on Saturday morning. We'd have theory, music theory classes, and we'd go down to Water Street afterwards. And we came up from Woolworths, and as I got to the corner of uh, Barter's Hill, because we were going to walk up the hill, uh, I said to them, right out of the blue, would you like to meet my grandparents? And they said, yeah, like, where are they? I said, they're right here. And I went into the house and went upstairs to my grandparents, and they were eating lunch. And uh, the thing that was so special to me was that they said to me, 
They loved it. And why didn't we ever meet your grandparents before? You know, but I'd never met their grandparents either. You know, this was, I was never invited into their home to meet their grandparents. But I, I knew to, this is my first step in recognizing that I am different, but I'm not. I'm one of you too, you know? And you have to know me and everything that's part of me. And they didn't find it strange when my grandmother pinched their cheeks and kissed their cheeks or anything else. And, uh, you know, fed them Lebanese food. She wanted to feed them right away because, you know, all Lebanese women feed, as he knows, <laughs> even me. And um, so, and, and so the other part of it is we were called tallies. And if you look up the Newfoundland Dictionary, it describes it. People of swarthy complexion in St. John's. Well, there weren't very many people of swarthy complexion in St. John's. So tally, where exactly did it come from? Some people with a notion that maybe we were Italian. Nobody really knows. And the writers of the dictionary really couldn't come. They could only identify. It was a term used in St. John's to describe people like me and my family. Um, so that was used. By the time, you know, you got into the 60s and 70s, it got a little bit worse than that. Um, I remember one time my father, who had a business coming out one night from the Royalton Club, which he owned, and written across his car was fucking Arab. That was a whole new dimension. We didn't experience that when I was a child, but we did experience what we would never have called racism, but it was. And so the racism is what makes you feel different, you know? And it's, it's, it can be subtle. It's, systemic racism is very, very subtle, I think. And uh, it took a long time even for us. I have two sisters and a brother, and one sister in particular really resisted it the first time we talked about it. We were probably in our 30s. She doesn't resist it anymore, because more and more as you reflect on your life, you recognize it. Lorraine, you, you've talked a bit about uh, the neighborhood around New Gower Street and how there were other Lebanese families living around there. It's also a neighborhood that doesn't really exist anymore. Um, I'm wondering if you can talk a bit about uh, what it was like growing up there. Thanks, Wyatt. I'd love to. Um, as I mentioned, I, we lived up on the Marchand Road. My grandparents lived down in New Gower Street. And um, when we would go to visit, my parents never had to worry about us. Um, because uh, when we'd go down to my grandparents, um, we'd go there first. Then we'd, you know, go out the door, go two doors up uh, to uh, Ida's and uh, let Ida feed us. And then after that, we'd go across the street to Mrs. Ringman and have Mrs. Ringman's uh, parrot speak to us in Arabic. And <laughs> then we'd go across the street to Aunt Mary's store. And all these places had stores, by the way. <laughs> go across to Aunt Mary and get fed by Aunt Mary. And uh, you know, you just would go the whole street and uh, nobody ever had to worry about you because, well, they're at somebody's house, you know. And it was always exciting to go to my grandparents because there was always somebody there visiting. And um, maybe they'd be over from Belle Island because there were, there were several, there were about, well, the Carvages and Bashas and Gazines. There were probably five core families on Belle Island alone with, uh, with more than one family of those core families. And one of them, the Gazines, we were related to. Um, my grandmother and uh, Mrs. Gazine were cousins. 
And, um, but it didn't matter whether you were blood-related or not, right? Everybody was aunt and uncle. I mean, we're not the only culture who has that. It was the same in that way for us, too. Everybody was aunt and uncle. We never really knew uh, when we were really young who was really an aunt and uncle and who were just part of the community. And um, my grandfather's store was really important because it was the largest of the stores that the Lebanese owned, um, a grocery store in the community. So he brought in all the food stuff, um, you know, for our food uh, from um, wholesalers in Montreal. And same wholesalers in Montreal today were the ones who my grandfather used to use back in the, you know, back in the early 1900s. So um, when we, uh, you know, we had burgul, you probably bulgur, but the Arabic is burgul. We would have burgul, but we wouldn't have little plastic bags of burgul. We would have sacks of burgul, you know, because when Pop would get the stuff for the store, he'd check with the family to see who needed what. We would have barrels of black olives, you know, and that's what we had in our basement, right? Barrels and sacks. But the whole community was there, and we learned, uh, you know, there were always parties. My grandmother, um, would always, no matter who had somebody come in, whether it was somebody over from Belle Island just to visit, somebody from Cornerbrook who was coming in to gamble for a weekend down at the hotel, because that was a big thing in, in, the, in the Lebanese community. There was actually a, a wonderful woman in Cornerbrook who was famous. She would come and gamble with the men down at the hotel, and the only thing she would bring would be clean panties and her money. That's what she would bring. Right? She, they'd come on the train from Cornerbrook. Not that long ago, well, it was her, her granddaughter, no, her daughter died not too long ago. She was over 100, her daughter, when she died. Um, but it, 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 we had a tremendous community down there. And they weren't isolated. As I said, you know, you had some Chinese businesses down there too, and you had Newfoundlanders, Irish Newfoundlanders <laughs> down there also. And, um, you know, on Ugarra Street, they, they were all together. They were all business people. They had their businesses. They respected each other as business people. And uh, they, they worked together. And when, um, when the city made the decision to uh, expropriate basically the north side of Nugara Street initially, it was all the north side was expropriated, um, it was a very terrible thing that happened because not only was it something that affected the Lebanese community, because geographically, people were no longer going to be living as neighbors with each other, but there was another whole community that was behind New Gower Street, all along the hillside, where City Hall and, and my one stadium are now, and they weren't shop owners on New Gower Street, they were people who were renting from absentee landlords. And behind the stores and the houses on Ugower Street, you had this whole hill of people who weren't serviced by the city. They didn't have running water, they didn't have sewer. Some of you, if you're from St. John's and you're old enough, might remember Tank Lane. Well, it was called Tank Lane because that's where the water tank was, where people would come and get their water. And, you know, the uh, honey truck would come around at night to, to get their sewage. The same thing was happening up at Shea Heights, which was then called the Brow. And the same thing was also happening in around Mundy Pond. But so when they got the... It was true that that whole area was... Um, that was a difficult area. 
But what, what the city did was expropriated the whole of the north side of Niagara Street. Um, and that meant taking away people's livelihoods because there was hardly, if you get pictures, and some of you may have seen them on Niagara Street back then, everything, everything on the bottom level is a store. You had barber shops, you had laundries, you had grocery stores, you had corner stores, you had meat markets, everything. And for us as a community, it was heartbreaking because where were people now going to live? They had the resources, money wasn't the issue. My grandfather and my uncle and his family, because they were living with my grandfather, now my mother, grandmother was dead, they moved in to Torbay Road. I had cousins, Sesame Park, you know, up in the West End was being built at that time. I had three or four cousins who moved there. Like, everybody got dispersed. It, in one sense, was a whole new diaspora of the diaspora. And it really affected the community. You know, whenever anybody came into St. John's, oh, we got to go to Mrs. Michael's, and they would go to my grandmother's, they'd be fed, and there'd be a party. If somebody had somebody coming in from Lebanon and a visitor to visit, there was a huge party. He's seen the pictures that we have of those parties in my grandmother's home. Um, sometimes they came and it was a prospect. Ah, which woman might get, you know, to meet this Lebanese guy? And there's, there's one picture I have of a gathering where I, I know who the guy is. I mean, I don't know what his name is, but he's the one that all the women, the young women, were supposed to be looking at, maybe, you know, to go back to Lebanon. Uh, so, I, uh, while we didn't speak Arabic in my home, because my mother didn't speak it, so my father didn't speak it with her, I was surrounded by Arabic, and I suspect as a child I understood it, because my grandmother spoke it to me all the time. I know expressions, vulgar ones, good ones, you know, etc. <laughs> and I still call our foods by all the Lebanese names. Um, but that's where I experienced our culture. Every summer, we would have a big party in Boring Park, in front of the bungalow. And everybody would come and we'd have a table of food. Every family would bring their food. And you'd have this big gathering. My grandmother especially loved going to manuals and cooking up in manuals, uh, bringing Lebanese food, and uh, having picnics in manuals. And I went to uh, Lebanon in 2010. I always used to wonder, what in the hell? You know, how could they stay here? How, you know, they came from Lebanon, from the Mediterranean. How, what was it that kept them here? And when I went to Lebanon, I went to Hadid el-Jibbi, which is uh, up Mount Carmel, it's the mountains in, in North Lebanon. And it's only an hour's drive from Beirut, you know. So you leave Beirut, you drive along the water, and then you turn up towards the mountain. And uh, Hadid el-Jibbi is the very last village on, on, as you go up this route. And when you get up there, Around you are the ski hills. But the thing is, when you get up there, what is it? It's rocks and scrub. <laughs> Manuel's River. <laughs> and we, when, we, uh, when my niece and I, um, uh, we, were, we were with my cousin's uh, wife, and she said, now before I uh, bring you, you know, to the house, I'm going to bring you up and let you see the village from up above. And then she said, we come here as a community on Saturday afternoons and have picnics, Manuel's River, right? <laughs> like, then I said, I understand. It wasn't that different. They had winter. They were up there and they had winter. Now, in an hour, you can drive down and swim in the Mediterranean, you know, which is, that's the different part, you know. 
<laughs> that's the different part. But um, it, it, that's where I learned my community. And that's why I know I'm not an immigrant, but when I say I have an immigrant's heart, because I grew up in the immigrant community. It was, it was a large community for St. John's to have all these Arabic-speaking Arabic pe people. It's very emotional for me, actually, it still is, and I surprised myself at that. Um, but that's where I learned, you know, that's where I saw Arabic, because my grandfather got his papers all the time from Beirut. He had a shortwave radio. Beirut was always uh, on the radio. Um, I, that's where I learned uh, the dances, because the parties would always have the Arabic dances, and the dabki, which is uh, the handkerchief dance. Every, every culture has a handkerchief dance, I think. <laughs> but ours is called the dabki. I mean, that, we learned that at parties. Um, the Lebanese music was always at parties. The other thing, though, about Lebanese is that they were very metropolitan. Beirut was called the Paris of, uh, of the Middle East. And my grandfather loved Beirut. He, it was a beautiful woman. He would talk about Beirut as a beautiful woman. And they, they were very metropolitan. So my experience of classical music and jazz was in the Lebanese community, along with the Lebanese music uh, that, that we enjoyed there. So it was a wonderful time. It really was. And it was so sad uh, when the families got dispersed because of the loss of water of Nugara Street. Um, I keep thinking, people ask me, what are you going to do now that you're retired? And I said, well, <laughs> there's a lot of things I'm still doing, even though I'm retired. But there's something eating in me that the city hasn't recognized that story yet. And I feel like before I die, that story has to be immortalized somehow in this, in this city because it was an extremely important story. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it was an amazing community. I mean, out of the Lebanese community, you know, you, you had people who were successful business people. You had musicians. My father and his brothers had one of the most popular orchestras in Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, one of my cousins, you know, went to New York as an opera star. Uh, uh, you had politicians, you know, daddy's first cousin, Albert Andrews, he was a municipal politician. Uncle Al was on the, you see, my cousin, Uncle Al, was on uh, the um, city council of two or three terms, I think, back in the, the 50s and 60s. He also had a large uh, grocery store. Um, Fonce Fowler was uh, the first NDP MP from Newfoundland and Labrador. Now, Fonce was from Cornerbrook. Um, and it's an interesting thing about Francis, uh, he's now a judge, of course, you probably all recognize his name. But the interesting, interesting thing about Franz, I couldn't believe it when he told me that his grandfather was born here. I said, Franz, that's impossible. He said, no, my grandfather was born here. Now, that amazed me, because that meant his grandfather would have been born like around the 1880s, and he was born here. So he may have been one of the first Lebanese born here, I don't know. Uh, Franz hasn't done any history on it. But anyway, just that to give you an idea. So when they came in to St. John's from Cornerbrook and Botwood, uh, et cetera, um, they came into a community. And, and the St. John's community would seem to be the, you know, sort of the center of the whole community. Just one more story, and then I'll... <laughs> 
uh, just to show you the breadth of it. I taught in Bayvert for a couple of years when I was a Sister of Mercy back in the late uh, 70s. And uh, I knew that Bayvert, I knew that Fleur de Lis was part of our family history. My grandfather actually had a store in Fleur de Lis and uh, he was actually a fish merchant uh, as well. <laughs> and uh, I was in school, but the first month, this young man came up to me, one of the kids I was teaching, Ron Walsh, and uh, he said, Sister, my, gra my grandfather wants to meet you. His grandfather had been the manager of my grandfather's store. You know, so there's where how far the Lebanese went in this province, and my family was at the heart of that. Food is something that's come up a lot um, with people I've spoken with, and uh, I know in my family it's a, a really important tradition as well. I was wondering if you could just kind of tell us uh, uh, why that is, what, why is food so important, and, and what it means for you to, to cook and to eat Lebanese foods. I'm not sure I know why it's so important. It's certainly an essential part of the community in the same way. Uh, and I think worldwide, because uh, Lebanese are everywhere, the diaspora of Lebanese is probably similar for the Filipinos as well. Uh, it's just all over the world. There's not a country that I haven't visited or been in or worked in that there's a key Lebanese business. Uh, even in my sister lives in Mexico, and the first time I was down visiting, we were driving um, you know, up the uh, highway, and I keep seeing this Jadrawi, Jadrawi. I said, Sandra, where's Jadrawi? She said, why? I said, because I'm seeing, she said, well, it's a huge supermarket. I said, they're Lebanese. I said, they're from Haddad el Jibbi. And, and they are, I looked him up, right? His competition is Costco, that's in Mexico, folks, you know? Uh, so uh, food, uh, food is everywhere. Um, uh, we sell it, we make it, you know. We've never ever had a restaurant here, but the first time I felt like I knew I was part of something much bigger than my community on Ugara Street was the first time I was at meetings in Ottawa and somebody said, we were going out to eat, maybe Lorraine would like to go to a Lebanese restaurant. I said, yeah, I would. And for the first time, I saw my food written in Arabic. I saw the words that I saw, kibbi, written in front of me. I saw Hadad al I saw Baba Ganoush written, I'd never seen any of it written before, it was, it was all oral. And uh, it, it, I realized I had this tremendous sense of being part of something much bigger than me and my small community. And I still share that. You come to my house, you get fed Lebanese food all the time. I, this, I, love, I love Newfoundland uh, cuisine as well. I'm really good on seal flipper. But if you come to my home, you get fed Lebanese. You want to insult me. You give me a, a, you know, a store-made hummus or a store-made baba ganoush. That's the biggest insult you can do to me is to do that, right? Or to even offer to bring a Lebanese dish to my house. Unless you're Lebanese, you do not bring a Lebanese dish to my house. But just to give one other story of the, how far that reaches. I lived and worked in Toronto uh, for 10 years and um, I had some good friends there, and one of, one of them, we had a mutual friend, the other one was Arabic, it was Lebanese too, from Chicago. And they, I wasn't living in Toronto now when this happened, they had a gathering. And um, my Lebanese friend, Marsha, went over, because there was a, ta a tabouli on the table. 
and she, she said, well, I'll try it. And she ate the tabbouleh, and she said, okay, who made my mother's tabbouleh? <laughs> and then she looked at our mutual friend, Lorraine Michael taught you, right? <laughs> right? So here we are, they're in, Chicago, they're in Toronto, she's from Chicago, I'm Newfoundland, I taught her how to make tabbouleh that tasted like her mother's. It connects us everywhere that we go. So even if you don't still have the language, you have the food and you have the spirit, right? That's enough. We've got to be out of here by the <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> You've been listening to the Living Heritage Podcast, a co-production of Heritage NL and CHMR Radio at Memorial University. You can find previous episodes on iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. We're on Twitter at HFNLCA. Do you have a question or a suggestion about an aspect of culture and heritage you want us to explore? Send us your mail, and we'll do our best to answer it in an upcoming show. Email us at livingheritagepodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music is by Lache Swing. Thanks for listening.